Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most interesting topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 167th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 618th overall episode of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, April 30th, 2020. I am your host this week, Galen Clavio. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. And this week's banner moment really couldn't be anything else than the revelation that freshman sensation Trace Jackson Davis is guaranteed to be in Bloomington for his sophomore year. As you all know, college basketball players are given a certain period of time to announce their intentions to either declare for the NBA draft or at the very least announce their intentions to explore the waters of the NBA by getting feedback on their draft stock from the teams in the association. Few would have been surprised to see Trace at least test those waters, given how impressive his freshman year was. After all, Trace finished in the top 100 most efficient scorers in the nation last year with shooting percentages and rebound rates that that scream potential and physical gifts. But no, Jackson Davis is coming back, not testing the waters. And his message via Twitter to IU fans was direct and exciting and inspiring. Unfinished business, the tweet said. And that's that's a galvanizing piece of news for an IU fan base that's been looking for a reason to get excited about the near-term future of Indiana basketball. Sure, it's almost certain that TJD was going to return regardless. There's some obvious areas of improvement he needs to make in his game if he wants to compete at the NBA level. But this announcement is about more than that. It's about his desire to come back to Assembly Hall, his desire to play for this program, his desire to do something memorable in an Indiana uniform. There were a lot of predictions in the darkest moments of this past season about how Trace might leave town at the first opportunity. Well, that opportunity came, and it went, and not only is he still here, he's ready to do something special. That right there, that's a banner moment for this program. All right, now it's time for me to introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show, which for one of the only times in Assembly Call history will not feature any of the regular Assembly Call hosts that you have come to know occasionally tolerate jared andy ryan and coach are all off this week because we're doing a show swap this is exciting news and uh we're actually tomorrow you're going to hear andy and coach doing an episode of crimson cast while scott caulfield and i take over the mics here at the assembly call and since neither scott nor i have custom theme music to play we'll just skip over the cheeky introductions and get right to scott's opening thoughts so scott welcome to the assembly call officially what are your general feelings about not just this last week in iu basketball but the off season as a whole so far hey it's great to be here uh thank you guys for having us first time long time and all of that um no i mean i will jump right into the trace jackson davis it's great news i mean i think that was the thought when we saw him having a great year was it was kind of like romeo the year before i mean romeo was fantastic everything kind of ran through him and I think through the middle of the year, we all kind of realize, okay, this is this is one and done. Um, and I think we it's it's exciting to know that he's back. I love the unfinished business. Um, 
you know, we'll, we'll see where that goes. We can definitely dig into that. Um, but no, I, mean, I think this is, this is a really good piece of news. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a great way to start an off season that has been very odd <laughs> for, for, for obvious reasons. There's definitely unfinished business for a lot of reasons. Um, but, you know, it's good. And you can't help, but you do have to wonder. Um, and I'll just wonder for a second, um, you know, did this have anything to do with the fact that basically I'm not sure anybody even knows when there will be a draft, if there will be a draft, like when that's going to happen. Like, honestly, probably the safest bet if you're a guy who's probably on the border of the lottery is just saying, I'm going to come back because who knows when eligibility is going to be reopened. Like there's so many question marks, the easier thing to say, I'm just going to come back for one more year because I, I can make my draft stock better anyway. Yeah, we'll dig into that a lot more throughout the course of this broadcast. And hopefully folks will stick around for the entire show as we're going to go in uh, to talk about that. And, and let me just give you a kind of a sense overall of what we're going to be talking about uh, throughout uh, this show. Uh, so first of all, we'll hit our Hoosier headlines. We're going to talk a lot about how this Trace Jackson Davis return, like what that means for IU and, and what it means in a historical context, because you know th- there have been some players that have leapt from Indiana after their freshman year who were very good their freshman year. There's others that have stayed. We want to take a look at what that pattern has meant historically and what we might expect moving forward. And then we've got your questions queued up. Jared was very nice. He solicited uh, the community of Assembly Call to ask us some questions, and we're looking forward to fielding those. So all of that coming up this week on Assembly Call Radio. But first, before we get to all of that, a few quick announcements. First of all, we wanted to ask you all to please continue to support our friends at Home Field Apparel. Uh, you all know Home Field Apparel if you've listened to this show. Uh, they are the official suppliers, of, really, of, of a lot of Hoosier Nation right now. I live here in Bloomington. You walk down the streets and you see probably every fourth person, maybe every third person wearing Home Field Apparel gear. I'm wearing my my oatmeal script hoodie right now. I, I, I feel comfortable in it. It's been a nice buffet against the winds down here today. Uh, so if you go to Home Field Apparel and you use the code ASSEMBLY20, you get a really nice discount on your first order. So be sure to head over to Home Field Apparel and do that at your earliest convenience. Uh, get yourself some quality IU swag. Also, as you all know, as we continue to deal with uh, the situation related to COVID-19, we continue to deal with economic uncertainty. There's a lot of people out there in need. There's a lot of people out there who could use your help if you are in a position to give that help. So if you'd like to support a local food bank, because really, you know, when we talk about the, the base level of needs out there, having enough to eat, making sure that you're not dealing with food insecurity in your household. That's really what's on a lot of people's minds right now. So check out www.foodpantries.org. That's www.foodpantries.org. Or check out www.feedingamerica.org. Again, www.feedingamerica.org. If you're in a position to help out, please do so. There's families out there all across the state of Indiana and all across the nation that would really appreciate the help. So we appreciate you thinking about doing that. All right, let's go ahead and move forward. We'll hit some Hoosier headlines. We've got Trace Jackson Davis returning. Let's start with that one. Scott, uh, you talked about this a little bit earlier on, and it's one of those situations I think that you kind of touched on it a little bit to start with. The idea that would this have been the decision if we had any sort of clarity as far as whether a draft was going to be taking place 
you know, what the NBA was going to be doing with their overall offseason format, any of that. And right now there's a lot of uncertainty as far as where all that's going. You could look at it that way. And I, for once, I feel like you're playing the pessimistic one here. I think you know that, that's a reading that you could you could go into it with. But I think you could also go into it and say, look, Trace Jackson Davis obviously knows he's got some stuff to work on with his game if he wants to play at the professional level. And he's shown a, a tremendous amount of physical gifts and overall basketball skills in this uh, this rookie year, this this freshman year with IU basketball. But he knows what he's got to work on largely. It's to some degree, it almost feels like he the, the the feedback he would have gotten, he was going to know what that feedback was regardless. But to, the, to come out with that unfinished business moniker on the Twitter feed, that really does make you feel to some degree like it's more than just the NBA draft not happening. It, it feels like there's an investment on Trace Jackson Davis's part of being here as part of the Bloomington community. And that uh, if you choose to interpret it that way, and I can see by the look on your face, maybe not. This seems like a positive thing. It's something that what the actual details of it are, you can kind of leave to the side. This is something that IU fans can get excited about. Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to be the pessimist on this, but, um, you know, I, I would say, like, what else is he going to tweet? He's going to tweet, like, hey, man, like, you know, probably not going to go in the first round. I guess I'll come back for one more year, um, you know, get my fake ID ready for Knicks. You know, you're, you're going to say something like unfinished business, like got to keep going for, you know, like, let's come back and throw the sixth banner up there. I mean, you're going to say that. So I, it, it's great. I mean, it's not bad to hear it, but it's also like it kind of rings a little bit like what is the unfinished business? Like, are we going to try and get in the top five of the big 10? Um, we can try and get not play on Thursday in the big 10 tournament. Like, so what, what is, it's not like this is a team that, you know, went to the final four and well, there was no oh. final four, but, but so th- that's, it. But I don't want to belabor that point. Right. I, I do think, um, you know, when you saw Jackson Davis, I think you did see a guy. And by the way, we are both very open. Like, if a guy should go, he should go. You know, this isn't – it's funny thinking of the rewatches, like thinking after, you know, watching Shaq and Bill Walton being like, he should stay another year. Like, we are not in that boat. But Davis felt, kind of felt like a tweener to me. Like, it looked like he really could use one more year of seasoning. Like, he doesn't have a, a ton of outside shooting. I don't think, I don't think he took a three-point shot all year. And if you're going to be in the NBA at the size he's at – um, you're going to have to six nine. You can't just play in the post. You're going to have to be a stretch. And so, you know, he probably needs to show that he can handle the ball more, shoot outside more. Um, you know, so so I think there's definitely parts of his game that could use a little bit of grooming and just the ability to kind of take over games and really demand. You know, there were times where he wasn't getting the ball, and that might be because of some play players who are not there anymore. But it's also, and he wasn't always posting up in a spot where he was able to get it. So he's, you know, I think those are things that you saw. I think we all kind of saw it with our eyes. Like he, he's a fantastic player, but definitely felt like a guy who one more year is not. It's not just saying that because I want him one more year. Like I think there's a lot of his game that could help his draft stock for next year. Well, I think part of it might be when you talk about the unfinished business tweet. I, I look, this was a team that was in transition this year, and there were some things to be critical about in the way that they played on a game to game basis. But there was a gradual upward trajectory. And I think the floor of this season was certainly higher than the floor of the previous season in terms of uh, what the overall expectations were. This team was going to go to the NCAA tournament. They were probably going to be a single-digit seed, maybe a nine seed, but still, that's a significant improvement over what you had last year. To me, that's the unfinished business. It's this idea that this is an IU team that when Trace Jackson Davis committed, like the team he committed to didn't make the NCAA tournament. 
his freshman yeah. year team was going to make the NCAA tournament. And let's just go ahead and put that in the bank that this was an NCAA tournament year. The next step is bringing IU back to a level on the uh, on the national scene where you look at them and say, that's a program we need to keep an eye on. That's a program that you need to watch out for. Maybe not, a, certainly not a, a championship contending team quite yet, but a team that could solidly be in the conversation for a four, five, six, seven seed, a team that's going to be in the top 25 of the majority of the year. That's the obvious next step. And that's what I'm really interested to see with Trace Jackson Davis coming back. One of his teammates did declare for the draft, didn't hire an agent. Second year in a row, Justin Smith is getting feedback from uh, draft experts and, and people in the NBA. Uh, this is not surprising, and I am a firm believer that if you feel like you're close or you just want to get some professional feedback, you should absolutely take advantage of it. Some people kind of chortled about Justin Smith doing this, but I don't really see a problem with it. Uh, it's not binding. The whole purpose of having this process there in the first place is to help players out, to help understand what they need to work on. And for as much as Justin Smith got criticized last year for you know, not knowing you know X, Y, or Z at certain times on the floor, he was, I think, a better player last year than he was the year before. And you know, the fact that he went and got some feedback on where he was at in terms of his professional stock probably had something to do with that. Yeah, I'm never going to make fun of somebody for that. I mean, you're you're drafted on potential, and teams draft on potential, not so much what they see now. And there's no question, Justin Smith is one of the the most potential laden athletes, if that's even something, but it has the most potential of any athlete we've seen in a long time in an Indiana jersey. I mean, he's the most explosive guy. I mean, that block two years ago at Michigan State that basically won the game where he came up from behind. I mean, that was an insane play. And, you know, this is probably – I I can understand the kind of the shortling. It's like, all right, you know, hey, can you at least be a leading scorer on your team that doesn't barely makes a tournament? But it's like, okay, you know – Ben Simmons was on a team that didn't make the tournament and, you know, he was the number one pick. And it's like, you know, th this is going to be his professional career at some point. Justin Smith is going to play professional basketball. It may not be in the NBA, but he's going to get paid to play basketball for a while. And those are high level professionals who can give him a lot of good opportunity, good information on what he needs to do to make his game better. So I think it's less that he thought he was going to go like first round top 15 and more just, Hey, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to hear what some GMs tell me or some scouts tell me I need to do to get better to play at the next level. Assuming Justin Smith does not keep his name in the draft, and I feel pretty confident in saying that's not going to happen. IU's roster is set now. We know what it's going to be for next year. We got some news last week that kind of the final piece of the puzzle was decided upon as Demise Anderson announced that he was going to transfer from Indiana. And and and, and that assumes, of course, as, as was pointed out, that Christian Lander reclassifies. We're still waiting on final word that that's going to happen. But Demise Anderson, we were wondering, okay, where is he going to go? What's going to happen? Well, we just found out. I just saw the tweet uh, from, from Caleb Kaufman on Twitter, and I don't know who had it first, but I'm going to give Caleb credit for breaking it because he's the first one that I saw that had it. But Demise Anderson going to be transferring to a Missouri Valley school heading to Loyola of Chicago. Of course, Loyola went to the Final Four a couple of years ago. That got the whole Sister Jean thing going up there. Seems like a pretty good fit. And, you know, when you look at Demise Anderson and you look at what his skill set is, it, it really did feel with as much trouble as he had adapting to the Big Ten level that if he were to drop down to that next level, which Missouri Valley, mid, uh, the Horizon League, you know, the MAC, somewhere along those lines, that he might be able to find a place where he could get into games a lot more and have more of an impact. This seems like a really good move for him. 
Yes, I would agree with all that. The thing that I and I wish him all the best. The thing that I don't want to see is another. We, we've had this situation the last like seven or eight years previous where we've had no IU teams to watch in the NCAA tournament. Yet we're having to watch like Maurice Creek and Hunter Perea and guys who kind of flew through our system suddenly doing well in the tournament. And by the way, more power to them. I, I wish them all luck. But it's like I hope. Um, they ha- I hope he does well there, and I hope we also have teams that we can enjoy too because it's really tough these years where it's like, hey, like, all right, you know, goodbye, Demisi. Then it's tough like two years later if we're out in the tournament and they're in the Sweet 16. You're like, okay, <laughs> good time. So, but no, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, it was his role was diminished. You know, I don't think he played in the last four or five games. You know, he, he had a great defensive stretch to start the season, but you, you kind of, I think he also saw too, there wasn't quite really a role for him and going in, you know, at end of your sophomore year, if you haven't defined some kind of role, it's probably not going to be defined. Um, so it's probably best to move on. Demise got billed as a shooter. He really never got uncorked from outside. It's interesting going to Loyola, uh, this past year, they did not put up that many three-pointers. Uh, they were 306th in point distribution when it came to threes. They shot the ball fairly well as a team. you know. And, and you look at their roster, he's going to be coming in essentially uh, if, if he ends up redshirting this year, which I would assume that he would, with uh, a bunch of players that will be seniors when he gets on the floor finally next year. So that'll be interesting to see how he fits in with that. But probably for the best, it was going to be really hard for him to find playing time on this roster either this year or really next year. Last thing to mention before we wrap up this first segment, uh, kind of a first and and really an interesting thing. I don't know if you've got a chance to listen to any of this, but Archie Miller popping up on the Hoosier Hysterics podcast and having a pretty open and frank conversation about a, a bunch of different things. I'm about halfway through the interview myself. Scott, have you had a chance to listen to it at all? I haven't listened to it, but it's the first time what an IU coach has been a podcast since didn't Tom Crean do one like in a truck outside of uh well like in the parking lot outside of Panera at some point. He was it was it was Party City and it was and he was <laughs> yeah. no longer the coach at IU that so I don't know if that necessarily qualifies. But I would look, I first of all, I enjoy all the Hoosier Hysterics interviews. I think they do an excellent job. Uh, and I would highly it's recommend a children's podcasting. There we go. <laughs> I've 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 enjoyed listening to it. I think right now Archie's talking about what they're doing uh, in terms of the break and, and how things are going overall with the uh, the overall setup with this you know having to deal with Zoom and recruiting and what have you. So I, I recommend checking it out if you get a chance. Thank you. All right, that's <laughs> thank you, Archie. We appreciate it. All right, that'll wrap up this opening segment but coming up we're going to talk about trace jackson davis coming back a little bit more we're going to talk about the comparison to other second year iu stars what we might be able to expect plus we'll have your questions coming up later on on assembly call (laughs) good job guys thanks nice job appreciate it that was good thank you boss that was good Scott, you were you were loud though. Everybody was commenting on it in the, in the uh, well. Chat. That's I moved the mic back, and um, yeah, that's also just Scott. <laughs> you Scott not have a, you Scott's have mic a, is on the lowest setting. Like He's a, just yeah, excited. A game, a game control or something that you can adjust. I mean, goodness. <laughs> I, <laughs> Final four. Oh my god, that's tremendous. <laughs> oh, I'll move man. it back. Well. It's I'm just here for the middle stuff. That's all. Just here for the middle. Yeah. Stuff. Well, you know, I'll make myself sparse uh, once it's time to. It's good to you know. We well we I, we appreciate Jared for actually producing this for us. 
Yes. Uh, if if <laughs> I would have made the same decision if I had been faced with me producing the show. Uh, and Gail I was- and I had a call. Was it last night or two nights ago? The plan was for you to do it in five minutes, and we're like, "All right, look, I'll just be here. I'll yeah. do it." He, he didn't really. He really. He kind of. He kind of nipped that in the bud. I don't blame him at all. <laughs> I realize how complicated this process is when I have to start teaching people how to actually do it. It's because I use a PC, isn't well, it? Well, that's that's an issue. <laughs> it's, it's all right. Gosh. Anyway, it's good to see you. Do like the here. old PC PC Mac commercial. Like I'm a PC. Right. I'm a Mac. Uh, Otherwise, like, Jared looks more PC and Gail looks more Mac. So like the the optics aren't right here. What the hell are you trying to say? I, that's kind of <laughs> you're, wow. you're geez. No, Galen's got the long hair. Jared's very quaffed. Like you're looking Gerard. Good. All right. <clears throat> The other way, yes, I I did. Uh, Jen put everybody calls me Gerard now because of Jerron Davis, so I did have to pull that out on its own. Gerard, Gerard, <laughs> Jared, Gerard, Jared, Gerard. <laughs> oh my goodness, oh, that's right. tremendous. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger—they're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery: the Mega Millions jackpot is over 250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over 250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Hi, this is Jawan Morgan. What's the only thing better than getting IU's first triple-double in 47 years? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. And welcome back to the Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to join the hashtag chat mob during our unedited live broadcast, chat mobbers, you just missed a tremendous Paw Patrol conversation or watch the replays, see all the between segment banter, check them out on our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com forward slash assembly call, all one word. I'm Galen Clavio. It's great to be talking to you folks, filling in on the host mic tonight as Scott Caulfield and I take over the assembly call while Coach and Andy take over Crimson Cast. So let's go ahead and dive into our main topic, and we're going to stick it with, with the Trace Jackson Davis topic. I think that this is certainly the biggest news that came out this week and, and certainly the thing that's got the most implications moving forward. So Scott, let's let's talk a little bit about some of the historical context of Trace Jackson Davis coming back and remaining in an IU uniform. We've seen certain players come here for a year, have monster seasons, and then leave. Obviously, you know, Eric Gordon comes to mind. You know, Noah Vonley, that that was a, a an unfortunate season, certainly, but he was here for a year and then left. But we've also seen several other players that have really become known as Hoosier greats over time come back for at least one more season, sometimes more than that. And I thought it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about those types of players and what we might glean from their returns as we apply it to our thinking on Trace Jackson Davis moving forward. So what do you got for us? Um, nothing. You're tra- no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> working on this. <laughs> oh, no. Um, yeah, this hot potato. No, I, I was so I was trying to, you know, trying to figure out, like, you know, who, who's had 
a good first season. And so I came up with a couple list of names. Some people I had to throw out. So I went all the way back to Landon Turner. Um, you know, after Landon Turner's first year, he only scored five points a game. You know, Davis was at like 13 and a half this year. And I know we just had a big fight off air about points not mattering, even though it's what keeps score in basketball. Um, but um, I went down to a couple other names I, I want to look at. Like, I, I think Alan Henderson is a really interesting comp. Alan Henderson, his first year, let me pull up his stats here. Um, you know, his first year, he had 11 points a game. Um, Davis had 13. He went 11 and then went to 11 and then 17 and 25. So he moved his way up. But what was interesting is, you know, for him, he, he only shot 2% lower from two points. Um, he didn't take any threes like Jackson Davis. They were both very low post oriented guys. Um, some other comps I came up with, you know, I think Christian Watford is also very close to what you saw from Jackson Davis. Watford on points went 12, 16, 12, 12. Um, but, you know, Watford actually had even more offensive um, – let me get it up here – had more offensive possessions um, and more um, percentage of shots and percentage of possessions than Jackson did his first year. Watford's tailed off throughout his career. That's partially because the team around him got vastly different and better. Um, but So those are some of the guys I looked at. I mean, I look, look a little bit DJ White, you know, and then you look at Zeller. Um, Zeller just doesn't quite compare, you know, the rating of – of Davis was really good, but the percentage of possessions and his uh, effective field goal shooting is nothing like what Zeller's well, was. I think, you know, Cody Zeller is an interesting case because Cody Zeller came in and was immediately the man, uh, you know, as a freshman. Yes, there were certainly other people contributing. You had Jordan Hull shooting from outside. You had Christian Watford, who was established and scored 16 points a game, like you mentioned the year before. But Cody Zeller came in and took the most two-point shots on the whole team by a pretty significant margin his freshman year. What was interesting about Cody Zeller coming back his sophomore year, and I don't think there was a huge amount of question that that was going to happen, but he went from being a you know, a player that was a key part of IU's team and, and was a, a pretty good player nationally. If you look at the Ken Palm national player rankings, he came in ninth in the country his freshman year. He was third in the country his sophomore year. Like He became a tremendously complete player in almost every facet of things, it's what made him a lottery pick uh, that up that next off season. You know, when you think about uh, you know some of the overall development that we've seen out of certain players, I, I think back to what happened with a guy like you know the you, you mentioned earlier the the idea of okay, how do we square this concept of of, of where people sit within the confines of IU and, and how they are at a particular point in time. Um, a lot of it comes down to what's surrounding them. And I think the interesting thing about a lot of those players that you mentioned, Alan Henderson, you know, he's a freshman on its team that goes to a final four. He's on a team that's arguably better in certain ways, certainly more experienced the next year. Christian Watford, you know, his, his freshman year was not awesome, obviously, and neither was his sophomore year, but he, he made that statistical leap because somebody had to, and it kind of fell to him. When you look at this particular situation with Trace Jackson Davis, what I think is interesting is that he's already got some pretty good pieces around him that should have more room to breathe. You're going to have Rob Finnessy playing, a, I think, a bigger role as a playmaker next year, which is going to allow a more consistent connection, hopefully, to form with Trace Jackson Davis on the offensive end. You know, you're going to have potentially a Christian Lander coming in and you know, being able to add athleticism and court smarts that perhaps weren't there last year. That ends up 
positively affecting what Trace Jackson Davis is able to do on the floor. Uh, you know, it, it sometimes, I mean, depending on how good the player is and, and what their relative strengths are, it can be a situation where it can. Did we lose Galen? I'm still here. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Where, where's Galen? <laughs> okay. So Ga- the... Galen's frozen. Okay. He's do you want to keep going? Yeah, yeah. Let's keep going. Um, so I will pick up from what Galen was talking about. The thing that I find really interesting um, when you look at Jackson Davis's numbers compared to that's Watford up there, but when you look at him versus Cody Zeller, because you know, Galen was just talking about Zeller becoming such a great player. What's interesting is some of the advanced stats, Zeller actually got a little bit worse his second year compared to his first year. Um, he had a great second year as well, but you know his effective field goal shooting went down. Um, his offensive rating went down. He did, he did take more um, shots and had more effective field goals, but some of his numbers went down. When you look at Jackson Davis's numbers, um, like his effective field goal shoot, shooting this year is 56%. That's what Cody Zeller was his sophomore year. Um, you know, his offensive rating, they were both at 119.8 for Davis, 0.4 for Zeller. I mean, they are basically statistically almost similar from Zeller's sophomore year to what J- Davis did his freshman year. So, you know, that that was one of the troubles that I had putting up some of these comps or trying to find comps is really, you know, you look at, you know, and again, as Galen mentioned, they're not perfect examples because what was working around them is not the same. But you look at Henderson's first year, DJ White's first year, Christian Watford's first year, um, you know, the, the numbers and especially the 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 tempo free stats really don't do any justice. Like Jackson right. Davis's first year blew them all away. The only person you can really compare him with is Zeller. And really, it's Zeller's second year you have to look at. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, definitely some some Internet issues here that we weren't expecting, but we're back. So. Uh, you know, ultimately, it is one of those deals where the I think the key aspect of all of this is that what Trace Jackson Davis brought to the floor his freshman year is really exciting to watch. The and this is a really interesting spot for IU basketball in that you've got a player who's really set for a breakout year his sophomore year and a team that is set. I don't want to say to break out necessarily, but certainly a team that's in in the right place to blossom this is the time that you would expect under a a coach like Archie Miller who's been there for a fourth year with the full bevy of recruits finally on board and and largely the recruits that weren't his to start with finally out of the system you would expect this to be where what the program is going to be really starts to take hold and so I think that's probably where the most excitement comes out of this and it's why I think looking at some of the past examples can be intuitive because you get a chance to look not just at the individual player, but what position they were in. Uh, you know, what, what sort of surroundings did those players have in IU's history? And that's kind of what you get to see here. I think it's fun to watch that unfold and, and get a chance to apply a slightly different scenario and try to guess what's going to happen with it. Yeah, I mean, what you don't want to see is, and again, it's it's very unique to the situation, but I also try to comp out like DJ White, and it's just, you know, DJ had a great freshman year, kind of swooned his sophomore year, and then came on really well his junior and senior year, but that was, you know, 04 to 08 was a pretty tumultuous time in IU basketball, we're not going to rehash that now, but that yeah. that has to be brought in um you know, based on that, but um, let's 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 talk a little bit from this perspective. When you think about yeah. Trace Jackson Davis, and you know the the idea of what the team looks like 
since you know that Trace Jackson Davis is going to be out there, but you also know that the 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 con the, the constitution of the lineup is going to be a little bit different. Like the idea of of who's going to be playing and how they all fit together is going to be different now because of simply the fact that you know you don't have Devontae Green who played about half of the available minutes last year. You don't have Deron Davis. You don't have um, the the same sort of things that were affecting the way that Archie Miller was putting players out on the floor. I mean, do you expect to see I mean, Trace Jackson Davis played the second most minutes of anybody on this IE roster last year. Justin Smith played the most. If you expect both of those guys to play the same level of minutes, how do you see the rest of the lineup and the rest of the roster kind of bending around that core two players, you know, playing either at the three and the four or the four and the five or the three and the five. Like there's a bunch of different potential combinations that you might see uh, building around that particular pair of players. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, it's interesting as we were talking about this, I was thinking that, you know, two of the arguably best post players we've had in the last 10 to 15 years have been Zeller and Jackson Davis. And yet the, the problem with Zeller and the problem we had this year with Jackson Davis is everybody's like, we can't get him the ball, like get the ball inside more. We can't seem to get him the ball. And it's, it's just interesting. That seemed to happen two totally different coaching staffs, two totally different situations, but it's like, we, we may not be the, you know, the best of, as a program getting the big man, the ball, but that is, I think that's going to be an interesting thing to look at because looking at Jackson Davis's numbers in depth, you know, he didn't take any three-point shots. And again, if he's going to test the waters and look to play in the NBA, which he will at some point, I'll go back to what I said in the first segment. At 6'9", he's going to have to have some stretch playing. So I, I do wonder if this year, you know, there were some times this season where it was tough for him to get the ball, tough for him to get position in the post. And he kind of just wasn't able to get in the flow of the offense. I wonder if there's going to be some situations where you just run a smaller lineup and maybe you have Jackson at the five. And then it's like, all right, if he's not getting the ball in the post, we're going to bring him out on the wing and he's going to start running some offense, you know, outside the three-point line. So I wonder if we'll see some of that. You saw Justin Smith do more of that um, this year than he has in previous years. And I wonder if Davis will bring some of that to his game. Because if he can do that, um, you know, we could – it would – make for an interesting offense where you could even play inside outside and get some, you know, matchups where you have, you know, an Al Durham playing a little lower post, maybe backing down a player who's got more size on. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's curious because if you look at Trace Jackson Davis's offensive game, it was the most efficient offensive game by far of any of the players yeah. on this roster. And what I mean by that is when, when he utilized a possession, it, it led to points at a higher level than anybody else on the roster. And the, the some of the less, even Joey Brunk. Well, even well, and this thing, <laughs> Joey Brunk was was in the top four in efficiency. Like Joey Brunk averaged about a point per possession. Uh, yeah. you know, but but what IU really needs is a way to increase that level of efficiency. Now, part of that will probably come just from the matriculation of Devontae Green, who look, Devontae Green, very similar to Verdell Jones in his relatively low efficiency numbers, like for, for whatever you want to attribute that to with Verdell Jones, uh, a lot of it came down to the fact that he had the ball in his hands a bunch and that itself led to, you know, some turnovers. It led to him being stuck taking shots when perhaps he might not have uh, wanted to. And I think with Devonte green, you know, he was very much a volume three pointer guy. Uh, he actually did a much better job with turnovers this year, but that, still got overwhelmed sometimes by his uh, desire to shoot the ball whenever he felt he was open and, you know, shooters shoot as they say, but 
with that out of the, I just love the euphemism. Very much a volume shooter guy. It's a great, like, that'd be a great well, tattoo. Yeah. Just <laughs> tattoo on the arm. Like, I'm very much a volume shooter guy. All of it like it is. But, <laughs> but with that out of the lineup, uh, you know, it's interesting because Trace Jackson Davis's usage rate is going to have to go up uh, from the standpoint of he's going to have to take probably even a higher volume of shots than he took this year. The offense is going to have to flow through him a bit more, and the offense is going to have to be better in terms of how it forms itself around Trace Jackson Davis. This is where, obviously, Justin Smith, if he's going to play that much of a role in the overall offensive setup, if he's going to play as many minutes next year as he did this past year, uh, you know he's going to play an important role in making sure that offense is flowing smoothly. Obviously, your guard play is important, but this is also where the question mark of somebody like a Jerome Hunter you look at the way that Jerome Hunter played with Trace Jackson Davis on the floor down the stretch in this season. You know, in the last five games that Indiana played, uh, you know, Jerome Hunter played, I think, something like 40% of available minutes. He was regularly on the floor in a lineup with Trace Jackson Davis, where Trace Jackson Davis was at the four and Joey Brunk was at the five. And that's a really, that was a really intriguing lineup with, you know, with, when you think about if you've got Rob Finnessy out there, if you've got Al Durham out there, and then you've got Hunter Jackson Davis and Brunk, uh, that's a different look than you get necessarily with a guy like Justin Smith out there with Trace Jackson Davis. And then, like, it, I'm just really fascinated by this because having Jackson Davis back allows you to play a lot more chess with the lineup. So we talked about that as, as a possibility coming into this past year. But it took a long time for Race Thompson to really get going on the season. Uh, you know, Rob Finnessy was injured. There were a lot of things that happened with the roster that ended up being less than ideal that never really allowed IU until the end of the season to start hitting on a, a roster configuration that really worked the way that, that a lot of people hoped that it would. So anyway. And, and the, thing, the last thing I would say is that, you know, the thing that would open all of this up and we can discuss in a different podcast at some point, we'll just keep taking over assembly call. We'll do it next week. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but, you know, the one thing that's going to immensely help out Jackson Davis is if this team can get some steady and consistent three point shooting um, that doesn't come in bunches in the, you know, the, the, the volume shooting tad on the arm. But if, you know, fantasy can stay healthy and, you know, become a consistent three-point shooter. If Hunter can continue doing what he sh- what he showed down the stretch, if some of the freshmen come in and, and shoot, you know, if Al Durham can get a, a shot, you know, if you could have two or three or four, you know, three threats out there from three every single time, that's going to really make teams unable to kind of jump down and double team on Jackson Davis and really make him even more unstoppable down low. Like it, it really would then open up some inside outside game. Like it's amazing to think that Jackson Davis did what he was able to do with really such a anemic three point shooting team this year. Yeah. And I mean, you got Anthony, Anthony Leal coming in, you've got yep. you know, these freshmen who bring all the, this different blend of shooting or athleticism or, you know, whatever else that they can bring to the lineup. And it's hard to say who's going to end up actually being able to get the minutes. And I think that ultimately when you've got Trace Jackson Davis at the core of it all, that gives you an anchor point around which things can rotate. And that's probably the most exciting thing about all of this. So anyway, I think we've probably talked about as much about the Trace Jackson Davis aspect as we can. So we'll go ahead and move forward here. Coming up in our third segment, we're going to be answering your questions. We're going to talk a little bit about NBA draft feedback. We're going to talk about some of the other items related to coming to IU games. So stick with us. We'll be right back after that.
Ethan Happ, and I never listen to the assembly call, especially the episodes that Ryan is on. We really made Ethan Happ's day today, I think. So he's certainly listening, maybe now. But welcome back to the assembly call. <laughs> I'm Kalen Clavio. Got Scott Caulfield with me. Uh, the normal crew not here. Uh, Coach and Andy and Jared and Ryan. Takeover the- alert! Takeover yeah. alert! Half of them have the week off. Coach and and. Uh, and Andy did Crimson Cast. You can listen to that coming up this weekend. Reminder, you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU news roundup, even during the offseason and after every game. We send out a detailed post-game analysis. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. It's our favorite time. Scott, it's time for the mailbag. All questions were submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community. That's assemblycall.com slash community. And we're always happy to hear from you folks, the listeners, the fans, uh, answer the questions you've got about things going on in IU basketball, basketball in general. Let's go ahead and get to some of those now here in this last segment. Uh, Let me get this first question. This one's from Chris. What Indiana high school player from the last decade that played elsewhere would you choose to be on on the IU's roster? Mine is Gary Harris, uh, who, of course, as most people know, played at Michigan State in 2013. That one was was a tough loss for uh, for IU basketball and a lot of IU fans in general. Uh, Scott, do you have an answer here that you'd like to give? Yeah, I mean, I want to cheat. I want to go back a little bit farther, and I, I still want Greg Oden. Like, I want Greg Oden and Mike Conley. Um, I mean, they went to an Ohio State team that wasn't that good. You put the two of them on there, they go to the final game. Um, so I, I, I still want to go back and get Greg Oden. That one is just always going to stick with me. Um, that's one of the few times I actually paid attention to recruiting, and then I'm like, all right, I'm done for at least the next five years because I got into it. Like, oh, this guy's awesome. This is going to be awesome. And then it's like, oh, yeah, he's going to Ohio State. Yeah. Thumbs up. Way to go, OH. Um, I still, you know, I, I liked Trey Lyles. I thought he could have been a good player. You know, Kyle Guy won a title, so that would have been nice to, to bring on here too. But, no, I mean, for, for me, I Trey Lyles is one that I, I dug. But, yeah, Odin is the one that always sticks with me. I, I got to say, though, Gary Harris is a good one too. I, I, I liked Gary Harris. thought he would have been good. I mean, Gary Harris feels like the obvious choice. That Talk about uh, a guy that would have filled out that roster in a way that didn't get filled out at the time. Uh, you know, I actually, you kind of stole the answer I was going to give. I, you know, for as much as people talked about, I did give like get, 12 answers. So. I know <laughs> you really cheated. And I, I feel, I feel cheated now by this whole thing, but uh, Kyle guy would have been just a tremendous acquisition yeah. for IU point guard, you know, uh, family, I think went to IU and it was very similar, you know, ironically to your Odin Conley response and, and also a couple of other players from that era where they ended up not coming to IU because they didn't like the coaching situation. And that one stung, especially when Kyle Guy goes on and wins a national championship with Virginia. So that is how you're a champion. There you go. That's, uh, I think, probably my answer. The, and the also stuff. a big favor of the Titus, the Titus uh, Tate, Tate and Titus podcast on the Grantland or the Ringer Network. So the the, the stealth answer here might be Brian Bowen because like if if, <laughs> if he ends up coming to IU, maybe maybe college basketball doesn't explode and and IU is better and Louisville doesn't get a <laughs> national championship race. You never know. It's it's a question that is unanswered. But anyway, let's uh, let's move on to the next question. 
this question coming in from Patrick, when a player gets NBA draft feedback, how does that get shared with the coach? Is it directly from the player or does the NBA provide info to coaches? Uh, I'll just take this one, Scott. I'm, I'm assuming you mean the, the college coach here, Patrick. In my understanding, the, you know, you have to understand that college players, when they're getting feedback from the NBA through this process, that's intended for them. Like they're, they're, the, the college that they go to is to some degree ancillary to the overall process. Obviously, their eligibility is an ancillary, but it's, it's not like the coach says, hey, go get this feedback and we'll give it to you. It goes directly to the player. Now, you know, you, you can, there's been a lot of articles that have been written about this process, and it gets tweaked a little bit every year in terms of the behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, there was an interesting interview that I read with with Tony Bennett where he was talking about you know how the process goes and what kind of feedback they're getting and you know uh, most college coaches I think that that are dealing with players that are NBA or at least professional basketball caliber who are getting this feedback they're not looking at it necessarily as being something that's biased one way or the other or favors one one direction or another it's more like well here's an honest appraisal of where you are where you need to be and then the player and their advisors end up making a decision based upon that but from what i understand it's it's largely just going through them they obviously you know you're going to have situations where players if they have a good relationship with their coach are going to want to cut people cut cut that person in on it and keep everybody in the loop i think what you'd find in a lot of cases a lot of people think this is an adversarial process uh between the nba and and the college coach and the player and in a lot of cases, it's a lot more collaborative than you would think. Like, there's a lot of of positive behind the scenes discussions about what's going to be best for the for the player, how the things that are being talked about in the feedback are going to be incorporated moving forward, and and I think there's also a lot of feedback that's coming from uh, the NBA process that gives the player a better sense. I mean, if you think about the way feedback can flow. What if the feedback comes back and says, well, you're not, your game needs to be worked on an X, Y, and Z, and you're not being utilized properly where you're playing? Uh, that's probably not going to be fed through the coach. So that's, that's essentially how the process works. I would imagine that's going to get tweaked as we move forward. Uh, I think that the NCAA has a vested interest in trying to make this as collaborative as possible. And you know, I think with this name, image, and likeness stuff that's coming up, you might end up being that it might end up being the case. So we'll see. We'll, that'll probably change as it moves forward. But that's where it's at about now. The only thing I would say with this is I'm, I'm watching the Last Dance. And I'm sure a lot of people are who's basketball fans, and I do love. I'm sure it's totally true when you see like Dean Smith, who was an assistant at the time at North Carolina, be like, you know, we all knew, like, you know, after his sophomore year, we told Jordan he should go. Like, I, if I was ever a coach in that position, that's all I. If I ever had a player like that, like retroactively, that's all I talk about is like, yeah, I coached LeBron, and I mean, I told him he should just get out of high school, go straight to the pros. Like, whether I did it or not, like, just it's great. Like all these guys, like I, I, I had Tim Duncan, like, yeah, I was his coach at Wake Forest, like I. Told him to go like i no question you're definitely ready for the pros like and i i think i was right you know that's that's i just i would i would just start every conversation with that it's uh it, it's a it's a surefire way to to look better in the next recruiting process that you go to. yeah uh mark had a question i'd like to hear your guys kick around the difference between player rankings and coaching assessments specifically look at trey galloway he isn't ranked that highly isn't crazy athletic yet all the coaches that recruited him love him and many think he has a chance to play some as a freshman why no love from recruiting services? What do coaches know that recruiting services don't? I, I wouldn't look at it that way, Mark. You know, recruiting services are, a lot of times, they're not necessarily grading players based upon how good of a fit they are for 
a particular college team or a particular system or even college ball in general, they're generally grading them on the the overall basketball effectiveness and quality. And a lot of that comes down to the physical gifts that the player has and the idea of how much more can this player develop? What sort of potential rating does this player have over time? You know, you've you got countless examples from championship programs of players that weren't that highly rated, ended up being excellent college players, ended up going on to the pros. You've got a lot of players, you know, look at a guy like Ja Morant, who ends up at, at Murray State, you know, not a highly rated recruit or highly regarded recruit at all, and ends up blowing up and, and becomes a lottery pick and looks like he's going to have a very long and successful NBA career. Uh, you know, look, I, the scouts for the recruiting services and the coaches are, are oftentimes they all, they all know basketball. They look at basketball in different ways. They're evaluating different things. And every program is going to have different things that they are trying to get into their program. And I think a guy like Trey Galloway, who might have uh, you know, not the same high-end level of physical gifts that someone else uh, might have, that's, that's where you're going to get some differences of opinion, perhaps in ratings. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to be an excellent college player, and it also doesn't mean that they couldn't eventually be a good pro player. So it's important to keep that in mind. Uh, last question from Patrick. When name, image, and likeness goes into place, should I be concerned that businesses will sponsor bench mobs? While the Knicks English Hut bench mob has a nice ring to it, I'm still scared uh, about all the airtime the 2019 Nebraska bench mob received during our game in Lincoln and would hate for bench mob activity to be encouraged. Man, well... I mean, if we can't have a video game for college sports because we can't have collective bargaining, I don't know how a bench mob would collectively bargain. But, like, who would be the logical bench mob sponsor for an IU basketball team if such a thing was possible, Scott? I mean, sadly, it would drive you crazy. It'd be IU Credit Union. They do the song, which oh, I know no. drives you bonkers. No. The, uh, I mean, it's it would be bad. It would end up being like Puccini's or it'd be a Stromboli or like, I mean, with, with the way that unfortunately the, the, the advertisers that I use able to get at Assembly Hall, it probably wouldn't be something we'd all want. Um, it'd be like, hey, I brought love- you by Smithfield, Smithfield Telephone or something. Oh, I, I Who's bringing like, us your internet tonight? I kind of, uh, they, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's Xfinity, unfortunately. No, the, uh, the, uh, no, it's funny that the, uh, the IU Credit Union bench mob, like I just imagine the, adaptation of the jingle for that and that would certainly drive me completely yeah you up. get deposit slips you kind of flip them out like you're making it rain <laughs> every time there's a dunk like that's right out yeah it's like like just make the deposit or he stuff. made a deposit to account the, it's not yeah, it's a savings account yeah. there's some there's some tremendously terrible possibilities as far as sponsorship <laughs> activation but that is concerned so so let's not do it let's not do that like we said, we can't have collective bargaining, so it's not going to happen. But it's a good question, Patrick. And we appreciate all the questions here from everybody. As far That's it. As- We're done. No more questions. There you go, folks. So that's going to do it for us on this week's episode of The Assembly Call. Thank you, guys. It's been a delight. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at Assembly Call on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Special thanks to Bob Thompson for producing a lot of the music that you hear on this show. And thank you all for listening. We've enjoyed it. We've had a blast. We'll talk to you again next Thursday night. Until then. Take it from the green light himself. Keep your elbows in, eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. 
All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. <laughs> Perfect. You know, I didn't account for the fact that you have like a just a slower delivery than I do, and I'm very like intense because I timed like that entire paragraph is like time to hit the hit so like the music you know crescendos at the right time. Sorry, I mean, you're, yeah. no, 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 your delivery is great. That is an error of production. I should have no, thought no, about no. that. That's, I should have adapted. That's a good a good performer doesn't allow his own like you know delivery right. to to change things. So. A good producer puts people in position to succeed. So we'll both no. just accept blame there. We will both accept blame. But that was well, good. That thanks. was really this good. Was, no, this was fun. We really enjoyed it. Uh, but now this, this is, this is where the show really starts, though. Yeah, no. As we, everybody we, knows on the assembly call, the show doesn't start until the three segments. I love over. the question from Chad. When can we have Scott after, Scott after dark? Let's bring it. <laughs> well, Scott after when can dark. I start cussing? Here we go. You yeah, you can like start, you, you can start cussing now. Segment, right? <laughs> yeah, you can, you can definitely start cussing now. It's like um, lunar bowling, but with Scott Caulfield. So. <laughs> So that's that, great. Okay, so real quick though. Okay, so there's that two was things. Dude Scott, like that was Scott on like morphine. That was Scott definitely some dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there are two things I think we should talk about here. Yeah. Are, not, are either one of you in a big hurry to leave? No, uh, no. I mean, if we're in quarantine, I mean, man. yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. I mean, unless you're going to be mean to us and like tell us all the things we screwed up, then yeah, I got to no. go. But. No, 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 no. Um, okay, so number one, we should probably talk a little bit about how our two shows are going to start working together, yep. which is still you know kind of in the early stages. But to so the Assembly Call Crimson Cast, we are going to start working together a little bit. Like One tangible way that you will notice this is you guys are going to start posting your podcast episodes on our site. Now, don't worry, like the podcast feeds will stay separate. The shows are going to stay separate. Even though we did this takeover thing, we're not like blending the shows or doing anything like that. But just for logistical and cost saving reasons, you guys are going to, you know, post your episodes on our site, but keep everything, you know, the same. Um, But, you know, we are going to try and do some stuff together. Like what we did with the rewatch series, like what we're doing here, because I think there are, you know, there's some ways that our shows can work together where we maintain the individual character and format and everything of our show, but, you know, just kind of freshen things up, liven things up, do some joint productions. Um, So we're still kind of in the early stages of what this will all look like, but I guess we're kind of terming it a podcast partnership. There are some other things on the business side, like being able to negotiate with advertisers, that kind of thing that we'll be able to do that, you know, the people who listen to the show won't have any idea about. Um, but if you start seeing some of that stuff, that's kind of what's going on behind the scenes. Cause we've been working together for a while. We have a good working relationship. You know, you guys are like, Hey, as long as you keep me away from having to deal with Ryan, we're good to do stuff with you. And we're like, okay, that's, that's fine. He just shows up to do the show anyway. Our one condition. Yes. I I will say just a little inside (laughs) baseball for those who are still listening. It's, it's awesome. And we, we love this, but it's great when Jared talks about like, you know, keeping the format of the shows, you know, it was funny, this takeover thing, because for 
Galen and I to take over, you know, assembly call. We have, I have 18 tabs open. I have notes. <laughs> we have a rundown sheet. We have intros. We have outros. We have drops for you producer. guys to take over <laughs> producer for you guys to take over Crimson Cast was, Hey, here's an intro. Here's a uh, outro. Talk about whatever the hell you want. You can <laughs> yeah, cut. Go for just it. Do it. It's like, yeah. just do it. Like, I mean, here, here and, and don't you, maybe don't use the music. Like just whatever you want. Like talk about whatever you want. Go nuts. Go hog wild. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, it's funny. We talk about production production and format it's like our format is we have a song we have an intro and outro and the rest is there you go but no this will this will be a lot of fun uh in that we're you know we got a lot of things we can do here locally uh that i think we can yeah. take advantage of that'll help both uh both the podcasts and it'll help uh you fans out there uh just with interfacing with what we're doing we've been fortunate when the assembly call guys have come to town that that one show a year in in february or what have you and we'd like that to continue but we also were hoping to do some more live things uh, ourselves and, and certainly through football season as well as basketball season i mean we're uh, we've always been a podcast on um, crimson cast that's tried to do both football and basketball stuff equally and i think this will just allow us to increase our coverage overall of everything going on with iu sports and so i'm excited about that yeah and i will say too i mean the partnership you know the podcast partnership our our live show this year you know bob knight didn't come back to assembly hall for 20 you know 20 some odd years he came back the same time we did the live show together so i mean you know read into that what you will i mean he, people people are listening people care and the general took notice just just saying i mean that is a good point it's, facts it's are facts. Completely factually accurate. <laughs> it, it's, it's, Every fact there is 100% true. <laughs> now you better get your head out of your ass. There you go. Um, yes. <laughs> sorry, coach. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, coach. I'm done. Um, no, it, uh, it'll it be good. You know, hopefully, you know, I think you guys will be able to do some stuff in the community. Like, I just think it, it makes some sense. You know, I and mean, we've all, we've worked well together anyway. So I think it, it just... Well, and one of the things Jared and I talked about when we first broached the topic a couple of months ago was we're we're podcasters at the end of the day. And I think that this is it's tough because a lot of what happens in sports media, it's you're kind of mixing old and new styles of media. And I don't think it necessarily always works that well. Like I think that uh, Jared and the crew have done a tremendous job of cultivating a, a pretty broad audience with yeah. the assembly call over the course of the last decade. And, you know, our audience has always been smaller. We were a little more esoteric. Uh, I think we have a, a certainly a narrower uh, appeal to certain groups of people, but that's been good because uh, from the standpoint of, I think it, it, it lends some credibility to what we all do because we're all stuck in this podcast area and, you know, we're not doing seven minute segments for radio that are that's just like in, just nakedly focused on, you know, let's get the audience to hang on for this next segment. And then this next segment, not that I'm saying that anybody would do such a thing, but, uh, you know, it, it does. I think it's it's a, we're on our own media format at this point. I think we need to start capitalizing on it. Um, so I'm just excited about that. It feels like the 21st century has finally arrived when it comes to media. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what we can do. I agree. And look, I think there's a lot more that we can do with community. I think some of the stuff that, you know, some of what we saw with the rewatch series and how many people were there live for those, some of what we've seen doing some of these virtual happy hours, like I think there's a lot we can do with community. And I think having more of us who were there to host and participate in those things, it's going to make it better. And so that's what 
you know, I think like I think you guys view it the same way we do. Like we're here to have fun. We're here to talk about IU sports. We're also here to serve the audience and give IU fans the kind of content that we would like to listen to. You know, and so I just I think it'll help us do it better. Um, and so it, it'll evolve, but we just wanted to let you know that's kind of what's happening. You know, so if you see it, you know, and Scott and I have already, you know, bounced some ideas back and forth about doing um, some more of these live rewatches, like kind of making it a regular thing. Um, you know, we're probably going to end up having a fight about what the format is, but that's okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we'll no, no, but that's, but it's good. That kind of creative tension is yeah. good because we all have different ideas. That makes us better. We all respect each other and we work well together. So it'll all be good. Um, so that's that. So what, There'll be more to come is, from it. And, and plus yeah. coach and Andy get to talk more about football and that's, yeah. you know, they're, yeah. they're very excited and, about that. And please, you know, folks, let us know what you're interested in. Cause we got plenty of yeah. room to grow. I mean, we're, uh, everybody's busy in one form or another. We, we all do this essentially as, uh, labors of love, but with our powers combined, uh, I think it, it allows for a lot more fun things to be happening and a lot more ideas, uh, to be generated. And, and we've gotten some great ideas from people that have listened or watched over the course of time. Uh, some Lisa just mentioned more live rewatches. Uh, I know Scott's been talking about that quite a bit. Uh, if you haven't been listening to Crimson Cast lately, we've been doing some, uh, what I, what I guess I would call culture based podcasts. We had a, <laughs> we've done three food and drink podcasts over the course of the last month. We had a, um, we had a breaking away rewatch. Um, I, I think we the time's pretty much come to do a Hoosiers rewatch. Uh, so we're we're, yes. we're we're already we've got that in the works, and we're trying to figure out the best way to go about that. Um, we should so see think, if we can get Angelo Pizzo to join us for that. Oh, I'm sure we could. I sure, I think yeah. I think we could. Yeah, if you're um, listening, sir. So uh, any anything like that? If there's things that you guys are interested in, uh, once we get social distancing in the rearview mirror. Uh, we'll probably do another Crimson Cast, uh, in, you know, get together like we had last summer. That was a lot of fun. We'd love to have people back to Bloomington yeah. uh, before the season start when it's a little bit easier uh, for people to get down here. So, you know, anything along those lines, just let us know. We'll uh, we'll try to make it happen for you. I've got photos of him in a sombrero. Sorry, wrong drop. That was. <laughs> Hit the wrong one. Sorry, <laughs> ominous. <It happens. laughs> I, no, I, I, I agree. I, I think the community is something we can an area we can really grow. I mean, I think doing the live events is something. You know, Gail and I did it at one point years ago. Like I remember watching an IU Illinois game at Kilroy's. Like we tried yeah. to do some okay, live stuff. Okay. Yeah, it, we just we weren't able to put it together. But I think you know, combining this all, we could do some really cool stuff. I know Coach already has a tailgate. I know Galen has a cool tailgate. I'm there for some tailgates, you know, before games. Like, I think there's ways we could do combined tailgates. We could do, you know, events together. Like the, you know, I just think more of that stuff too is good. Cause I think people like, you know, it's nice to kind of mix those two things. And by the way, Chris in the uh, chat, I love it. Like we need to do the, the, the the blue chips. He's been after the blue chips rewatch for literally eight years. It's, it's, I I have so many thoughts. I got notes. Like, yeah, I'm going to do it. It's going to be at least four and a half hours. It's going to be awesome. I mean, it's right there in front of you. Thank you. We are talk. Uh, no, we should do. Uh, who? Uh, Tyler said we should do a Romeo commitment rewatch. Wow, <laughs> that, would, that would that would truly be. If we ever run out of stuff to rewatch, and we do that, that would. I'm be, trying uh, to think. Like, it, wouldn't I think a Cody Zeller commitment rewatch? Is there is there like a raw feed of the video from that? That would be. That would be interesting. That would be good. Um, if, I don't if, even know how you would do it. Just like, who's he going to pick? Like, should he pick? No. It, look, I'm going to tell you all right now. If we ever do that, stop us. 
stop us and say and <laughs> just too like, far down the rabbit hole. You have to do guys. Yes, things have things have gone bad. Uh, things have definitely that, that's gone what, yeah, that's, that you, need to, you need to grab us like all right go back go back to mighty pups <laughs> yeah, like you that's right. like that's that's your yeah. limit like mighty pups is as far as you can go yes. back to marshall back to sky back to zuma yeah let's break those down yeah so the last topic that i did want to talk about some galen because it, it broke this week is the you know the name image likeness stuff that broke with yeah. the ncaa um yeah. and i'm you know we'll have lots more time to talk about it because nothing is quite set in stone yet and it's weird because like I heard a lot of media people, you know, kind of like, Hey, I want to give the NCAA credit for getting here. It's like, but wasn't the NCAA like forced kicking and screaming to get here because of laws passed by California and Florida that made them have to do this. And then even what they proposed doesn't even go far enough for what those laws suggested. So like, can you give us the five minutes of what Mm -hmm. this actually says, what it really means and then what we need to watch for? Because so, Yeah, totally. Um, So essentially what the NCAA working group put together was a proposal to allow athletes to profit off of their name, image, and likeness, but within the confines of the collegiate model, uh, which essentially means we want control as the schools over what uh, the the people would be or what the players would be able to do as far as their contracts with name, image, and likeness. And there's some legitimate issues here that, you know, that I think the NCAA is trying to navigate that are a bit tricky. Uh, you know, they want to avoid, uh, you know, players being sponsored by an alcohol company or, or sponsored by tobacco or, or things like that, things that they would find unsavory. It doesn't stop them from allowing those companies to advertise during March Madness, but that's another story altogether. Um, and then they also essentially want to potentially keep um, athletes from being able to do their own contracts with shoe companies. That was actually something that was in the California law, but not in the Florida law. And there's a couple of things about this that I think we need to keep in mind. The first is the NCAA didn't do this because they had this sudden change of heart. As Jared said, they're doing it because they're trying to get ahead of the train that's coming down the tracks, which is all of these different states passing all of these different laws and essentially re-securing the rights of students who happen to be athletes uh, to be able to have control over their intellectual property. That is not the same as like actual reform. Uh, it's, it's kind of, it's emergency dressed as reform. One of the aspects that we run into with this also is that this working group essentially straight up asks Congress to give them an antitrust exemption on the federal level that would supersede the state level. So something that Congress could vote on that would essentially say all these state laws regarding image and likeness for college athletes are invalid. Uh, the federal statute would take precedence. And it's interesting because a lot of the, the, the congressional people that talked about this just shot that idea down immediately and said, no, that's that's not going to work. Um, your you know, lobbying dollars are no good here, NCAA. Well, I just think they've, they've burned too much capital. You know, and, and like I had a tweet about this, and I think a lot of people interpret it as being negative. My, I, had a, I had a negative reaction to all of these tweets that came out, from, uh, especially from media members who should know better, who were like, NCAA, to allow players to profit off a of name, image, and likeness. Like, guys, how many times do we have to do this? Like, read the fine print. The fine print is always the important thing. And yes, in a few cases, in some limited cases, it would allow that, but it's a very restricted standard. And look, my my perspective on this has always been very straightforward. There's no reason why 
students, if they are indeed students who happen to be athletes, should have any different rights than another student. Uh, and the idea that a scholarship uh, should supersede all of that is, I think, it's it's bogus. Like from an academic perspective, it's bogus. Uh, it is a purely commercial function, which to some degree kind of you know, places the whole concept of amateurism in a, uh, it makes it look ridiculous because it is under those circumstances. And so uh, the idea that you would be like, well, you can do this, but only under these certain circumstances, I, I have a problem with, with that perspective from the NCAA. And I don't think it's going to matter because I think the states are going to look at this and say, yeah, you know what, we're going to keep doing what we're doing because you're not doing what you could do uh, in this matter. Not to mention, you know, if the NCAA is going to try to regulate this and investigate stuff on a case-by-case basis, look at how hard of a time they had with transfer waivers. You think this is going to be easier and less complicated than transfer waivers? I mean, like that just doesn't, trying to, that doesn't make any sense at all. So much of this, and I've talked about this with, with the NCAA before, there's so much good that can come out of college sports and there's so much, there's so much money that can come out of it for everybody. If the member schools treat it like what it is, which is a, a professional league. It is a de facto professional league. It has professional contracts with media companies and advertisers and other sponsors and suppliers. It has commercial contracts with coaches. Uh, it just has gotten so used to not paying for its labor that it just hasn't built that into its model. And because their justification for not building into the model is that it's amateur. They refuse to treat it like a professional sport. It's why, I mean, you'll you'll hear people say, well, we need a commissioner for college basketball to advocate for the sport, to help, you know, settle rules disputes, to help settle things like transfer rules and things like that. And you do, you need someone in charge who can watch out for the well-being of the sport. And that goes all the way down to like as many people that criticize referees and, you know, referees working six or seven games a week and, and just like going from conference to conference because they're all independent contractors and there's no independent standard for the sport as a whole. This is another symptom of that, where because the NCAA won't just do what it should do and treat college basketball as a big business, um, we end up with a situation where that, you know, where it ends up being a mess and it just continues to be a mess and continues to be a mess. And there's still good that comes out of it, but there's a lot of things that could be significantly better. Yeah. All right. Well, I just wanted to make sure that we address that. There'll be more. I mean, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with it. I just, you're right. Like you saw, you saw a lot of those reactions come out and it's like, can we slow down just a little bit? And can we, you know, well, and the, the big pressure now, and I think this is the fact that they released that story when they did, I think it, it's an illustration of the other real problem in college sports right now which is the tremendous amount of money that's already been lost because Mm -hmm. of March Madness not happening because of the other sports for this spring not happening and the real threat that you're going to have either a delayed or canceled 2020 football season. And, you know, that, you know, I think they have to find a way to make football work from a financial perspective, because if they don't, it's going to change the face of college sports forever. It just is. I mean, there's just, you're going to see schools cutting entire teams uh, you're going to see, you know, you could see schools dropping down to division two or division three level just because they don't have enough money uh, yeah. to stay at the division one level. Uh, I mean, it's like financial Armageddon. And, and I think the schools are kind of feeling the, the pinch right here. And they're like, well, we got to figure out a way to, to, to work things out on this. And this is, it's incremental. It's a good first step, but there's a lot more that needs to be done it's just a bad time to be negotiating it because there's so much other stuff happening behind the scenes. 
I saw President McRobbie issued some different scenarios that could happen. You're for, yep. for those who don't know, you're obviously a faculty member. I mean that it oh, seems. My, wait, my cover is blown. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, it does. Like, is there? Do you see any scenario where games are played if the students aren't back on campus? Doesn't it seem like that uh, has that would have to come first? Or well, yeah, I think it will. It would have to come first. I think that students being on campus is actually not as far fetched as it seemed even a week or two ago. It, yeah. From this perspective, like. I, I I read a lot about the the virus. I read a lot about the efforts to try to find a cure for it, and I read a lot about uh, what's going on in terms of uh, you know public institutions, private institutions trying to figure out how to negotiate this and navigate it. And uh, I think what what we're seeing increasingly is a possibility that you know this is going to be somewhat under control, not totally under control and it's still going to be dangerous, but it's going to be something where we're going to have to figure out how to operate our traditional sort of process of education and things like that uh, while also combating the virus simultaneously. And I think the idea that students are going to be back on campus, there are going to be some classes offered in person uh, in a moderate in a modified format, and then some classes offered online in a modified format. I think that's likely what's going to happen. Uh, and under that scenario, I think you can justify playing games you probably can't have full crowds and you may not even have crowds in certain circumstances. Uh, but I do think that the, the idea that, that there's going to, and it may not even be like football supposed to start what September 1st or September 2nd. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may be a situation where the season doesn't start until October. The season doesn't start until uh, November. Uh, so it might be a situation where the calendar changes but I do think that it's a better chance now than it was before that the pieces will be in place where games could be played, not just for football, but also for, for basketball. Basketball might actually be in a little bit rougher shape because of how enclosed the environment is. Um, it's yeah. a little bit easier sell when you're out in an open-air stadium versus when you're in an enclosed space. Scott, do you think the fact that Indiana football was poised to have one of its best seasons ever, coming off an eight-win season, some top 25 buzz, is this the universe just getting off kilter because it doesn't know how to process this that is causing the virus and everything that has happened because of it? Of course. Um, I actually have thoughts on IU students. In my mind, students you all address that happen. way too seriously. That was supposed to be a joke. No, I know, I know, I know. Galen's no, like thinking I, I, seriously. Like this the, the might best. be the best explanation I've heard for this. You might be able. Oh, you might be able to time. You might be able to time the introduction <laughs> of the virus to the human race right when Indiana became bowl eligible in early November. We can that's, make that's jokes, right? Like yeah. we so, can now make yeah, jokes yeah. about this. Okay. No, I, I do have I do have a thought. In my mind, for other reasons, students have to be back on campus, or else Bloomington's in some major dire. Yes, that's for sure. But that's that's a, I'll get, come back to me on that. But no, it's it's funny. Galen and I talked about this a little bit ago. In an odd way, the things Galen talked about is true. Like just take Michigan for example, like another school like Michigan. They are used to getting you know what the, the stat is always you know they make you know in one game what we make in one year. In a weird way, like we are more poised to deal with not having any money than a lot of other schools. There's a weird universe where, you know, IU football has basically made very little money for years and we've been able to find a way to get by. Like Michigan is kind of the, the person who's living in the McMansion who can't miss one paycheck or they're going to default on their McMansion. Like we're somebody who's living very modestly in our house, has not as much savings maybe as we need, but we're used to scraping by and eating ramen noodles. So I do wonder if this might be good for us and like it kicks everyone else in the ass and maybe it's better for us. That's at least the optimistic point. 
the other point you said is yes, a thousand percent right. This is the this is the universe conspiring against us. And um, God, I hope uh, Penix doesn't get coronavirus. It's gonna have to be a drop. <laughs> yeah, no, don't, don't. No, I, you know, one thing I do want to say because we, you know, we have people in our audience that have been really badly affected by this. So it is, you know, we yeah. come on here and we talk about the sports element of it, and you know, we're no, so far I mean, into this now. Like sometimes you kind of make jokes about it to no. deal with it, but I mean, you know, I, I know. I mean, we have people in our audience that their businesses have been turned upside down, and so no, no, and I mean, I, I had, I had it's, a, a student who had a parent die from it, yeah. and I've, I've had. You know, friends whose whose families have been affected by. It. So I'm not uh, I'm not taking it lightly. I'm also I don't I don't take even the thought of of IU or or any school being back in session uh, lightly when it comes to this. But I do think that you know to some degree this is the new reality. Uh, you know, and as much as that sucks to say, I, you know, the I think the the, the social distancing has been really important. I'd like to see it continue until we have a, a clearer way forward. And, and I think there's time for that. You know, I think one of the issues that you run into is people want finality. People want certainty. They want to know, okay, this is going to happen for this amount of time. And then at the end of this, this is going to be what the scenario is. And I think, um, A, there's not really a need for that other than our own impatience as human beings. But also, I think that, um, you know, the, the rush to try to make a decision one way or another ends up being almost more damaging because then you end up making decisions that are wrong simply out of haste rather than uh, making them out of the, the abundance of information that you need. Uh, and look, I think, if, you know, IU is doing a better job than Purdue did. Like, you know, Mitch Daniels wanted to get out and make a strong statement. And, you know, Mitch wanted to really, you know, he loves this this mantle that he's on of kind of being, you know, the guy that thinks about the dollars and cents of higher education rather than the university aspects of it. And, you know, even, even his statement about, and I understand why he made the statement, but his statement about, you know, well, this, this isn't really, this, this hardly, you know, it's, it's not fatal for people that are under a certain age. And it's like, well, that's not really true, first of all. But then he's talking about, well, we're going to have to separate our over 35 students from our under 35 students. And we're going to figure out a way to make this work. And I'm thinking, if it's 35, that's the cutoff. Who's going to teach these people? Um, like, and how's like, Evan Boudreau going to play basketball? <laughs> well, that too. Yes. But you know, but I mean, I'm, I'm 40, uh, you know, so theoretically I'm in the high risk category as a faculty member, you know, yeah. I mean, is it just going to be like, well, you're just expected to march in there. There's a lot of things you have to think about at this level. Uh, and I really think our, our leadership at IU has done a good job of, of being patient and not rushing to judgment as far as what they're going to do. I know people want finality, they want to know for certain, yes, we're going to have school on this date. This is a time to be flexible. This is a this is something we haven't seen in the United States or in the world for 100 years on this scale. And I think flexibility and being willing to kind of roll with things has um, a lot of virtues to it. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I would say, there's a lot of questions. I I look at it from the economic point of view. So I, you know, for those who don't know, I, I have a hand in a lot of residential real estate in Bloomington. And that's, that's when I look at, like, you talk about, you know, students coming back, like in my mind, students have to come back in the fall or else the landscape of Bloomington just economically changes differently. I mean, you're going to have, I talked to a couple other people who own a lot of residential real estate. Like if there's, if, if, if students aren't back, 
you're going to have hundreds and hundreds of houses foreclosed upon and not being able to pay mortgages. I mean, I literally had a talk, you know, it's, it's interesting. Everybody got their, you know, you have 60 days delay on your real estate taxes. Um, most of those people just pay it an escrow. So it's not a big deal. It just comes out. Um, but if you own rental property, you pay that on your own. And, you know, the, the, Monroe County is is reaching out to people telling them like, I know the state says you have 60 days, but please pay your real estate taxes on time if you can, or else we're not going to be able to make our budget. Um, and so th- th- there is, and so much of Bloomington, I mean, but it's true. Like they were, yeah. they, they had no call in that. And so much of Bloomington, the taxes are not paid in escrow. They're paid, you know, they're, they're owned by people who rented out to other people. And so I just, I look at that as something where you know, when people are like, oh, you know, I use going to go online in the fall. It's like, all right, you do that. Like you're turning Bloomington becomes Martinsville, like immediately, like it's just gone. Like you joke about IU credit union, like you're going to have hundreds of houses in foreclosure and the credit union is not going to be able to figure it out. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a different discussion, but it's just like, that is the other part that I, I look at too, just from where I'm, what I know. Jared, you had no idea when this, uh, yeah, I know this, this partnership happened. You were getting a, a, a real estate and business pod uh, to go along with it. So, yeah, no, but it's, I mean, that, that's an interesting perspective. Cause I mean, I, you know, I live in Dallas, I work, <clears throat> you know, online like this, this hasn't affected, you know, fortunately my wife, you know, kept her job. So this hasn't affected us, you know, a, a ton, like in our daily lives, but I'm, I'm curious, Scott, and this is probably an impossible question. So if you feel uncomfortable like answering it, just say so because it's a tough question, but this is what we do here on AC After Dark. Like, how do you, so, you know, because you just expressed a very real like hardship that you're going through and could potentially go through if students don't come back. And yet I know that you understand the risks and you understand you bring all these students from all across the country. Here you go. Now you just make Bloomington another little petri dish for potentially spreading this thing around. How in your head do you balance those two things? Because I know you want students back and you have a, like, there's a specific, like, way that that's going to impact you. And yet you also, you don't want to put students more at risk or put the city of Bloomington more at risk. So how, how are you processing those two different competing thoughts in your head, which have no real answer right now? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And it's, you know... All I can say is just my personal my personal opinions. Uh, this I speak for myself and no one else because um, it, it seems to be an oddly touchy subject. But I mean, I it is you know when you hear people talk about it, I think it gets painted too much on one side or the other. People are like, "Oh, you're picking economics over life." It's like, no, I'm not. Like, I, I I know people who are affected by this. Like, it's I, I don't want anyone to pass away. Like, I don't want anyone to get sick. That said, you know. I'm not going to do the the number stat thing where it's like this many people die. Like people get sick. Like there are people who get sick. It happens, you know, from an economic point of view, this is the first time just on, again, it's very specific to real estate, but it's been like, I have people who just, you know, they're not paying their, their rent and they're, and it's like, I'm to Galen's point. It's like, I, I almost need a finale. Like, I need to know, like, if I'm not going to get rent or if people in Bloomington aren't going to get rent for three months, like, okay, I can budget for that. But like, I'm not, I may or may not get rent for an indefinite, indefinite amount of time. Like that's too many variables for anybody to figure out. And, you know, unfortunately it's a risk reward thing where I think the risk of not having students in Bloomington is just massive. And it's not an IU or Bloomington thing. It's just a college town thing. Like West Lafayette's in the same boat, you know, Lexington. I think mean, any college town, if you just, Bloomington is built on IU. Being, the reason Bloomington is different is because of IU. All the things that are there, like literally, so I've been telling other people is like, if 
the students don't come back. You won't only have houses out of business. Like half the restaurants that Galen's talking about are just gone. Like they're just, they're, they're, they're done. Like there's not enough capacity to keep up with them. Like people aren't going to be able to pay, pay rents. Like you're, you're going to go, you're going to just have a vastly different Bloomington that you're going to come back to in 18 to 24 months. Um, and so that is where I think you have to look at that. Um, I, I don't, but I, I don't know where that balance is. You know, I, I all I will say is this, is that I have a friend here who's a, an ER doc and works with Indy EMS. And he said one of the best things. So he's obviously, I look at it from the economic side. He looks at it from the, obviously the medical side. The thing that he said that I've been telling everybody, I think is the great way to put it is he's like, look, you know, to, to stop something like this, we need to quarantine better than we're doing now. And we need to do it for 18 to 24 months. And those people are hundred percent right. He's like, now, economically, we need to get back to work in a couple, in like two to three weeks. And those people are a hundred percent right. He's like, and that is the problem is that both sides are a hundred percent right. So where you find that balance is where you need smarter people than me to figure it out. Um, and, and me too. Like, so, but I mean, that, that's the way I look at it is like, I just, I think there would be economic catastrophe if IU didn't come back so much of the, of the, of its built, you know, so much of Bloomington is built around it. So my biggest fear, honestly, is talking to my wife about it today is, you know, now that we're in a quarantine, I would kind of rather just say, look, we're going to keep it closed till like June. But the caveat is then when we reopen, we're reopening. Like then we're not going to do this again in the fall. Because my biggest fear is that we kind of, it, it pops up again. And then it's like, all right, we're going to shut it down again. Because, but now I've also been more effective. Like I, I have some rental property that may not be able to pay its mortgage. And like I was furloughed. And so I'm looking at it from a different perspective. Um, but it's like, if I think those kind of like start stops to the economy is not going to okay. be good. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I'm just talking to his wife. I'm Sorry, just talking no, to no, my, my, my yeah, I'm just, I'm just talking to two complete lunatics. He has to turn into Alex Jones radio. Yeah. Yeah. We're no, not doing AC radio anymore. No, look, man, it's like I told you, it was a difficult, I appreciate you addressing that. I mean, just while you were talking, look at all the people in the chat mob you know, that have lost their job or out of work or dealing with this. I mean, it's, you're right. Like there are, it's hard because people on both sides make really compelling arguments, you know, and it's, it's, it's tough to know. It's, it's difficult. I wish everybody would listen to each other more and empathize with each other more instead of just, you know, assuming they have the right answer. But you know, that's the other thing is there, there is a risk of it getting worse for the fall. Well, and think, all those things have to be taken into account too, because you don't yeah. want to have a false start and then have it be worse after right. that. And you know, and it's it's hard. We're you know basketball guys. This was a lot easier when we were talking about Trace Jackson Davis. So whoever whoever brought yeah. this topic up, don't let them have the mic anymore. Um, but no, it's, but I think you you brought up an interesting and I think really good point, Jared, which is this, especially the online discourse is so oriented towards partisanship and blaming somebody for something that's going on. And this is not that type of a situation. Like this is the entire situation has been weaponized by people who profit off of argumentation. And that's not what this is about. What it's about is there's, there's an unprecedented illness that's causing a lot of people to get sick uh, in order to try to make things safe. Governments have done, what they were told to do by medical professionals, which is tell everybody to stay home and try to limit the spread of things. And, you know, none, none of those things are partisan, like none, none of them at their heart are partisan. They're being turned into partisan things, but at their heart, they are simply actions and reactions to a reality that's out there that, that 
humanity has to face. And so, you know, what I try to do with the way I evaluate it and the way I think about it is, is focus on as much of the, the demonstrable facts as I can and ignore the partisan aspects of it as much as possible. And look, I understand, look, people, people in this environment, um, they, it's like, we need something to believe in, which a lot of times means we need something to rally against. And I think that's the unfortunate part of it because what are you rallying against? You're rallying against people who are trying to do the right thing. You're, you're not, you're not doing anything positive by turning it into, uh, an, an anger contest. So, um, it'd be nice if everybody could take a step back and think about it more along those lines, but that might be impossible in this environment. That's probably a good way to close it. I mean, just know, you know, I know there are a lot of you out there that are affected by this and, you know, I mean, we're, we're with you. I mean, in that sense, I think we are all trying to be in this together, you know, and I know a lot of the people that I feel fortunate enough to communicate with are trying to have that empathetic viewpoint and view things from different sides you know, so we're with you. We're thinking about you. And, uh, you know, we hope that this gets resolved in the best way possible moving forward. Um, if you came to Assembly Call After Dark looking for answers to the to this, I, I apologize. 42. <laughs> yeah. The answer's always yeah. That's but, such a liberal answer. That definitely yeah. was generated by, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, guys, this was great. Thanks for coming and hanging Thanks out. Thanks again. We really appreciate it. Looking forward to it in the future. Yes. Absolutely. Listen to Crimson Cast this week. Coach and Andy will be on there talking football. All right. Okay. Good stuff. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, everybody. All right, everybody. <laughs> we'll see you later. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player fine. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player fine. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.